We're uh, wrapping up our I Am series today, uh, which I have really enjoyed spending our time this summer looking at these moments in John's gospel where he records these powerful statements that Jesus makes, these I am statements. And we've seen everything from I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. Um, what are some other ones? Anyone remember other ones that we have done throughout the summer? Where'd you... I am the good shepherd. Thank you, Mark. Anyone else? You didn't expect a pop quiz. That's what happens when you come to the 930. The way, the truth, and the life. Last week we talked about I am the gate. Jesus has several moments throughout John's gospel, and this is almost like a defining feature about John's gospel, is he has these pointed I am statements throughout it. And what I've loved about this is this is, this is kind of hearing it from the horse's mouth if I can say that about Jesus, that he is saying these things about himself. And that helps us to understand who he says that he is. So this morning, we're wrapping up with the last one that John records in his gospel from John 15. And this is one of my favorites. In fact, I think this is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. And uh, if you have spent time in the gospels, I'm sure that you probably are familiar with this. But my prayer this morning that as we read it, even if we are familiar, that we would be able to hear it uh, in a fresh way and read it with new eyes. This is John 15, 1 through th- uh, 13. We're going to start uh, with the first eight verses. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. We'll keep reading. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, Haley and I this summer uh, got to spend two nights, three days away from our kids. Mom and dad babysat. It was fantastic. We headed down to the Annapolis Valley. Now, I go to school at Acadia there, and so... For me, I, I think a bit to Haley's frustration, I kind of wanted to do a little detour and see changes they made to the campus. But we enjoyed our time there because, man, like Wolfville and that whole area, Grand Pre, is just gorgeous. And it's kind of like the Napa Valley of Eastern Canada. Like there's vineyards everywhere. There's probably, I don't know, like a dozen at least, like, vineyards scattered throughout the countryside on both sides of like the mountain and the ridge like it's a beautiful area and so we're like when in rome do as the romans do and we went to go see some of these wineries now we're not like big wine people but like we're just trying to like take in what is there and what the place is like 
And as we visited a couple of these um, wineries, I remember driving into one and you can see the fields all around you, right? But there was this one field that we drove past and it looked like everything was dead. And, you know, having been through Fiona and things like that, knowing that there were like apple orchards that were completely devastated, I'm like, oh, were these guys hit by something? There's something wrong with their crop. Because every single vine that was like in this field uh, along like the rows was just, it looked small and there was nothing on it. The thing looked absolutely ravaged. But as we were learning from these wineries, we found out that, no, this, these had been vines that had already borne the, the, the grapes that they had already harvested that they had gone and pruned. And so they had cut off all the branches so that it was just like the essential parts of the vine that next season it would come and grow and bear fruit. Now, this is immediately where my mind went as I was reading through this passage this week of, man, these vines that looked ugly, but they were pruned in order to bear fruit because they are fruit-bearing plants. But there's this moment in this passage where Jesus talks about himself as the vine and his father as the gardener, and that the father is either going to cut off the branches and throw them in the fire, or he's going to prune them because they bear fruit, so they can bear more fruit. And I think an immediate question that we have as we read through this passage that Jesus is teaching his disciples here is, okay, like, what does it mean to be someone who's pruned versus cut off? It says you're going to be cut off or pruned based on where you bear, whether you bear fruit or not. And so there's maybe a little bit of internal panic for some of us where we read this and we say, okay, which am I? What if I don't bear enough fruit for God wanting to keep me on the plant, and so he cuts me off and throws me in the fire? But Jesus offers us some reassuring words here in verse 3 where he says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. He's saying this to his disciples in one of his last teaching moments before he's arrested. Like, imagine this as like he is still around the table of the Last Supper, and he's speaking to them before they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane where they pray, and then he's taken by Judas and the the guards. This is one of his final teaching moments. And as he is saying this to them, he's reminding his disciples, listen, I'm talking about pruning, and I'm talking about people being cut off, and all those things. He's like, have confidence. If you are worried about whether you are bearing enough fruit for me to want you, know that you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. What Jesus is saying here is is not so much, listen, I need you to start producing, otherwise you're cut from the team. Instead, what he's saying is, I've given you life and you are part of the plant. What I need you to do is remain in me. I took my my, uh, Apple Pencil this week and was going through the passage and was kind of circling repeated words. And if you look through this whole passage, 11 times Jesus says, remain in me. This is like ridiculous over and above repetition that Jesus does. And this is the point of this passage where he is telling his disciples, stay close, remain in me. 
If you're familiar maybe with other translations of the Bible, a famous way of, of um, translating it is abide in me. There's that famous hymn, right? Abide in me. That is based on this passage that Jesus is telling his disciples, you're going to bear fruit if you remain in me. Abide in me. Stay close to me. Dwell in me. Live with me. This whole concept of remain, of abiding, of staying in Jesus. It makes me think of like when I used to live uh, at home with my parents growing up. I'd come home from school or whatever, and mom would say, take your coat off and stay a while, right? It's like, you know, you wear your coat in. Like, I lived there. That was my place. That was, that was where I resided and Jesus is inviting us in a relationship with him, not just to like come and visit, but to take your coat off and stay a while. To make your home with me. To stay, to, to settle in. This is home now with Jesus. Remain in me. And he says, if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. It will be the fruit of, of character that develops. And in other parts of the New Testament, in Paul's letters, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, where he's picking up this analogy from Jesus. He's thinking of the wine grapes that Jesus is talking about in this passage here. That the Holy Spirit, as we remain in Jesus, is bearing fruit in us. The fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's the value of Sunday school. It helps you remember those. that as we remain in Jesus, we have the fruit of the evidence of God's work in us. In fact, Jesus would go on to say, and Paul after him, that you will be able to tell who is my disciple by the fruit that they bear. You'll be able to tell who is a false teacher and who is actually from me, maybe hearkening back to last week with the thieves and robbers jumping over the wall. You'll be able to tell by the fruit that they bear. And we bear the fruit by remaining in Jesus, by making our home with him, by staying close over the long haul. See, some, some of us, we like, we've grown up in a, a version of church that has told us, like, you have to live following all of these rules in order to be a good and holy person. That holiness for us bears this baggage of like, you have to follow the list. Whereas in this passage, Jesus is showing us that holiness is a product of nearness to Jesus, not performing to a certain standard. Holiness is nearness to Jesus. That the fruit is, is just the most natural result of living with Jesus. Like, if, I, if I, we go back to the Annapolis Valley and the vineyards that are there, like, the branch doesn't have to try to bear the fruit. If it is connected to the vine and the vine is healthy and it stays connected, it's going to bear the fruit because it's literally like the water that the vine brings up from the soil nourishes out through the branches to be able for it to bear fruit. It's the most natural thing for the branch to bear fruit if it's connected to the vine. And... It's not an entirely passive thing on our part either. 
It's not just hoping, oh, if I, you know, go to church long enough or if I, you know, do my morning devotionals long enough, it'll just rub off on me. They'll have a little Jesus rub off on me. But instead, the, the, Jesus' invitation to remain in him, it's a verb. It's, it's an action to stay close. It's an action to stay connected. I almost think of like, if you are a, a, a boat that is like in the current, you are like actively trying to stay tethered to the dock so that the current doesn't pull you away. Jesus is inviting us to remain. It's the choice of holding on to the one who's holding you. Uh, one, of, one of the pictures that I have in my mind is like, you know when you give someone like a long hug? Whether, you know, maybe someone's grieving or, and, and you have that long hug. There's like that mutual, you're both holding on. And you know the hug is done when someone just slightly releases the pressure a little bit, right? And you know that, that's, that the moment is over. The invitation is to keep holding on, not to relieve the pressure to let the hug continue, to abide with Jesus. Do we look at our faith as abiding with Jesus? Is that kind of the framework maybe that we look at our relationship with, with Christ is, is one of just, just always staying connected, of staying close? Because I know for me, I've had a tendency throughout my Christian walk and spending time in different denominations and churches and, and things like that, where my tendency is to view Christianity sometimes as like focus on having the right doctrine. And so all my effort is, is into like reading the right systematic theologies or hearing from what I think are the best teachers, which is a good thing, but it is not the biggest thing. Or maybe we have a view of Christianity, like we said before, that is all about right living. And so our definition of what it means to be faithful to Jesus is like, am I following the list of rules? Am I living in the right way that Christians around me aren't going to look at me in a funny way on Sunday morning for hearing about what's going on? Which is important, but it is not the main thing. Or, or maybe we have a tendency to view Christianity as like, I need to have these uh, outward visual expressions of the Holy Spirit's work in my life. So that if I'm expressing these spiritual gifts, or if I'm, I have these outward expressions that, that make it look like everything is flourishing, then that is Christianity. And listen, I would say that all these things are important, that having good doctrine and living in a way that is following the teachings of Jesus and having a, 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 a vibrant life in the Spirit are healthy parts. But at the core, they're nothing unless we're abiding with Jesus. And in fact, if we are using them to try to be our main connection point, rather than just seeking to be with and remaining with Jesus, then we're probably putting them in an unhealthy spot. That if my only connection to Christianity is figuring out the right doctrine, 
or having outward expressions of the Spirit or following a moral code. Listen, you can go anywhere and have exuberant people, smart people, and holy people. But are we connected to Jesus? We're told to remain in the one who is remaining in us. Stay close, and he's going to bear incredible fruit in us. And what I love about this, what he says in verse 8, the Father is glorified as we bear fruit as evidence that we're disciples of Jesus. That our Father is glorified, and there's evidence that we are his disciples when through remaining in Jesus, there's fruit that comes about. So in our walk of faith, do we prioritize closeness to Jesus? I think this is the main question that we're invited to ask with this passage. Do we prioritize closeness to Jesus? How do we do that? Well, there's kind of like the traditional list of like, you know, you wake up early and read the Bible and pray and you go to church on Sundays and, you know, you get involved in a life group and you make sure you're serving in kids ministry and all those kinds of things, which those are helpful and good. And I would say yes to all of those. But in this passage, I think Jesus gets even deeper down with how he talks about it. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. This is verse 9 and onward. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You know, is that the root of closeness to Jesus? It's love. That sounds like such a cheesy Sunday school answer. But in this, he even outlines what this looks like for us. And I think this is really helpful. That remaining close to Jesus is all about love. First of all, to be able to receive his love. Have you recently sat down and pondered the immeasurable love that God has for you? That you are loved in a way beyond what any human being is able to provide for you? That regardless of what you do, regardless of how long you've been following, regardless of how much of your life you feel like you have together, you are unchangeably and unshakably, undeservedly loved by your Father. And where this is so helpful for us is unless we grasp this, we are always going to be chasing after, can I bear enough fruit to be loved by God? Our tendency, unless we are anchored and rooted in the fact that we are loved already, we're going to try to earn it. Or we're going to feel just terrible about ourselves. You are deeply loved by God. I think about it like some of us, I, I don't think, I wouldn't consider my situation like this, but I, I know that there are many of us where our upbringing was one where we didn't hear I love you in the way that we may have felt like we wanted. 
And so many of our relationships with a parent or even sometimes with a spouse is, is one of like, did I do the right things for you to want me or to love me or, or for, me, for, for you to want me to, to stick around? And for many of us, our, our lives are actually marked by this ongoing need of like, can I produce enough? Can I perform well enough in order to be wanted and loved? Where Jesus says you are loved. Remain in this love. Like, make my love your home. Sit in it. Enjoy it. Root yourself in it. You don't have to earn it. He also says that obedience as a response of love is a way of remaining in him. Because we are loved and because we love him, then we do what he says. Not because we're earning his favor, not because we have to live up to a list, but if you love someone, you want to do what they want. I, th I think of this as like, in, in a marriage relationship, like it gets unhealthy fast if our view of each other doing things that are kind towards us are like, you're trying to get something out of me. That, that shows a level of unhealth and suspicion. Whereas with Jesus, it's like, I love you. You love me. And, and so we, we have this desire to do what Jesus asks of us out of love. We're not trying to earn. We're not trying to buy back. It's not some transaction. It's a response of love. Out of love, we obey his commands. We do what Jesus says. We live our lives in this journey of being disciples where we are trying to apply our rabbi's teaching to our 21st century lives. Of trying to faithfully say, what does it look like for me to faithfully follow Jesus here and now in the 21st century? Lastly, he asks us to demonstrate his love. That because we have received it, we show it to others. He says, this is my command to you, that you would love one another as I have loved you. He says in John 13, similarly, he says, people will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. That there should be this like common DNA of how you love one another with the way that I have loved you. Then he goes on to say in verse 13, which is profound, greater love has no one than this to lay down their life for their friends. He's, he's foreshadowing a little bit. Here's how I want you to love one another. Look at the cross and what I'm about to do for you. This is the kind of love, this self-giving love that isn't trying to get something from you, that isn't trying to play an angle, but is giving of myself. Where Jesus is saying, I love you in a way where in seeing your plight of sin, I'm willing to go to the cross for you. He's inviting us as we remain in him to reciprocate that kind of love to others. This morning as we wrap up, we're, we're going to turn our attention to the communion table where this is a reflection of what Jesus says, of giving his life for his friends, that this is an act of love that we are remembering.
And what I love about when we celebrate communion is it's a physical act that we do of remembrance. He says, do it in remembrance of me, but it's also an act of declaring whose we are and what we're connected to. That maybe for us today, choosing to take the bread, which is Christ's body broken for us, and to take the cup, which is his blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, in participating in this, this is a way of us reaffirming, I'm in. I want to remain. I want to abide with you, Jesus. I don't want to be far off. I don't want to be a branch that doesn't bear fruit, that gets caught and tossed in the fire. I want to be yours. I want to be connected. I want to live in your love.